In this episode, Greg Krogan and I cover his love for hunting and how that began, his outfitting business, his glassing process, and of course, mule deer. You are listening to the Archery Maniacs Podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tedford, professional archer. Hey everyone, I'm Christy Titus, and you are listening to Archery Maniacs. We cover everything archery, from the hunting side to the tournament side, with stories, tips and tactics, gear reviews, and more. That helped my tuning game so much when I made sure that all my arrows were square. I'm staring into his eyes, blood's dripping off of its tines, mud is everywhere. The clarity these mavens offer is amazing. I'm just like Spider-Man, you know, on this rock, you know, just <laughs> laying there. Belly crawling in there and I can barely fit in there and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him and we just ran at this elephant. Well, thank you everyone for tuning into the Archery Maniacs podcast. Today I have Greg Krogh on the podcast. Uh... For those of you who don't know, Greg is uh, an outfitter for mule deer and elk and kills some outstanding or guides. I mean, he himself does as well, but some outstanding uh, animals. And it's just, it's amazing to follow along just on the social media journey. I'm always excited to see what Greg is going to be posting next because it's usually one of those bucks that everyone dreams of or bulls that everyone dreams of. So, Today we're just we're just gonna dive into um, you know Greg and and uh, a little bit about some of the tips and tactics that he uses for hunting and wherever wherever the conversation goes the energy flows and we're just gonna chat about hunting so thanks a bunch Greg for hopping on the podcast oh thanks for having me on here I'm looking forward to it yeah me too me too we've been we've been working at putting together a podcast uh for a while now so i'm i'm really looking forward to it as well all right so so kind of tell us a little tell me a little bit about yourself and you know where where you kind of got the love of hunting um you know because a lot of people aren't obviously just born with hunting so kind of you know where did you get the love of hunting in your life you know, my dad grew up with it. You know, my dad was really big into hunting. And uh, when I started out guiding, uh, it was actually me and my dad doing it together. We both started at the same time. And that was, you know, obviously I started out hunting before that, but started off just hunting with my dad and my brothers when I was younger and uh, just always, <clears throat> always been just addicted to it. I love it. And uh, growing up in Arizona, there was tons of opportunity, um, especially back then. Back then you could get an elk tag every other year, you know, and uh, <clears throat> sometimes even more than that. And the deer tags were for sure every year. And then when, as tags started to kind of get a little bit more difficult to get back in the, I'd say probably mid eighties, you know, maybe, yeah, probably 85 is when it started to get difficult to get the tags. And once that happened, we were, we were so frustrated to not be hunting. We'd actually got into the guiding. My dad and I decided to do it. And, uh, I was only, I believe 16 years old at the time. And we decided to do it just so that we could get out and go hunting, you know, and, and it really wasn't even about the money. Now it's my career, but at the time it was more about just getting to go elk hunting. So we would send out flyers and mailers and buy these lists from the game and fish department. And, uh, my dad was actually in that line of work. He was in the, he was in a, uh, mailing list business. Like he would sell those labels you get. <clears throat> so uh-huh. he decided we this from now everybody does it. But back then it wasn't something that was really common. So he contacted the game and fish and 
we bought a mailing list of everybody that was successful in the draw and we would send out these mailers and do it for, you know, I can't remember, but it was probably, a, I think it was somewhere around a hundred bucks a day, 150 bucks a day back then. And we just wanted to go elk hunting. So we would solicit these people that had the tags. And I mean, honestly, we probably would have done it for nothing. We just wanted to go hunting, you know? And so they would provide camp and food and we would just show up and get to go elk hunting with them and then, and then make a few bucks to cover our expenses. So that's how it kind gotcha. of all started. And, and uh, like I said, it was more out of the desire to go hunting, you know, because if you had to wait, you know, at that point it was getting down to about every third year, I guess, you know, where you could get an elk tag and we didn't like sitting around for two years and not going elk hunting. <clears throat> so that's how that kind of, that's how I kind of got into it. And from there it, it turned into a business. It wasn't something that I, when I started ever thought would be what I did for a living. I, I went to college and took a job after college and then uh, just was never really happy doing anything else. I always did the guiding kind of as a part-time deal. And then I decided about, oh God, I probably would have been 94. I decided to go do it full-time. I worked out of college a few years and then I, and that's why I decided to start doing it full-time and, and, and it's turned into what it is today, which I'm ecstatic. I can't believe it, it's worked out this way and I can't imagine doing anything else at this point. Is it, isn't that funny how much, um, you know, cause I, I've never really had a job that I truly loved until I started working on you know, the podcast and filming and a little bit of taxidermy stuff. Um, but it's amazing cause you know, I worked a bunch in the oil field and it's, I, I think it's so incredible to watch as you really don't care for that. It's literally just a paycheck and like you, you don't really think of hunting and stuff like that as, as a way to be a career. And then you're just so passionate and energetic about it that it just kind of snowballs. And before you know it, you're like, holy hell, we, we're, we're, making, we're, we're making headway here, you know, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, like you said, I never dreamed it would turn into something. Like, like I just, you know, my, my dad was a successful businessman and he was really – um, you know, was super supportive in everything we did. And he, he was the one that helped us get our jobs out of college and, and pushed us to do things. And then I was, I was actually too embarrassed to even tell him that was my plan. So I actually had to come up with a story about how I uh, <laughs> wanted to get a job in a different line of work, but I couldn't do it. You know, if I was working for this company, cause people were afraid to hire you cause they were such big clients. So I was going to quit the company just for a year and and let everything settle down. And then I could send out resumes. And in the meantime, I would just, you know, guide. So I didn't go broke, you know, and get a few bucks. I didn't have to borrow money. And, uh, all along having the intention of doing it full time. I just thought if I could, if I told him that right up that, I thought he'd think I was crazy. And, right. uh, so I, I told him I was doing that. And then after the first year of doing it where I made enough to get by barely, um, that's when I broke it to him that I wasn't actually sending out resumes, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you're so. sending out flyers for your hunts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I told him I sent out resumes and, uh, so, and you know, he's, he's always been super supportive and he, I think he loves it now. You know, my dad's really passionate about hunting. And so I think he thinks it's great now, but I think at the time he probably would have thought it was crazy. You know, there was nobody back then there wasn't really especially in Arizona, there was definitely people doing it full time in states where there were no draws. You know, there's people forever been doing it in Colorado and, you know, Montana and Wyoming, but in Arizona, there really, there were two or three people. I, I can think of two people that were doing it full time back then as a, as a career. So it wasn't something that was, you know, uh, really tested. So, but I'm, I'm, 
I'm really thankful I did it. It's been a blast. I've just, I, like I said, I can't imagine doing anything else at this point and, and having what I would call a real job. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I just, I keep kind of laughing here. You know, I had to mute my mic cause I, uh, I just, it's funny, the commonalities, because there for a while, you know, I'd be like, yeah, dad, I'm going to do a podcast, you know, and, and it was just something that I was doing after work, you know, I get off work and I'd have a podcast or two or whatever. And Hey, I'm going to do this podcast. And my dad's like, what the hell's a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it's, the, it's interesting to me that the number of questions I get like that, well, what's a podcast? How do you listen to one? What, what do they do? And, uh, so it, it was kind of the same for me too. I, no way in hell was I going to look at my dad and tell him that something that he didn't even know what it was, was what I was planning on making some money doing, you know, there's no way. <laughs> right. Right. Like, well, I just get people on there and we talk about hunting dad. Oh, okay. Whatever. <laughs> you know, but so with your, with your guide business, uh, you know, obviously it's, it's your career now. So on a, on a typical season, how many, how many hunters do you, do you take uh, typically take on? Oh, I would say, you know, our season starts, <clears throat> we really start around the first of August. Well, it changes, but some years it's the first, some years it's the 10th in Nevada. But I would say from then until January, oh, probably, we probably, gosh, I don't even know the number. got to be, there's about 26 weeks straight. And I would say on, a, on an average year, we probably take, I don't know, 75 to 80 people, I'm guessing somewhere right in there. I did Holy figure it out smoke. once years ago, but that's, I, I hate saying the number because it makes it look like there's camps. I mean, there's never a camp of more than, you know, four guys and that's rare. It's usually there's two or three weeks a year where we'll have four guys in one camp, but you know, I have five guys that work four guys that work for me full time pretty much throughout the fall. And, uh, and then me, and then, um, and I've kind of taken a little bit of a step back the last couple of years. Um, which has been really hard for me. I'm, <clears throat> and, uh, but in the last couple of years, I've kind of, I've been doing like every other trip instead of, I used to do 26 straight trips and I'd have in 26 weeks, I'd have four days off, you know, if, if nobody got done early, you know, scheduled on, yeah. on paper, it looked like there were four days off. Then, you know, some guys get done the first day or second day and you get some time off. Um, but with all these guys and then, you know, keeping everybody busy, it's usually the average camp is two people in a camp and, and there might be two units going on at the same time. You know, it might be, you know, me and say Jeff Rowe in one camp and Paul in another unit, you know, and then maybe Sergio and uh, Matt Kelly in another camp. So in the busy times of year, like Nevada's general deer, we'll sometimes have two or three camps going, you know, but for the most part, it's, um, it's, it's rarely more than two guys, but there are a few trips a year where there'll be three or four. We'll have one big camp together and do it, but, so that's why I hate saying 80 because people start, people think of a hunting season as being five weeks long and we're running, you know, 15, 20 people a week. And that's not what we're doing. We're, we're, we don't do that. It's more of a, I feel like it's a more personalized camp. And, uh, and the last couple of years I've been, <clears throat> I was decided to kind of expand a little bit, you know, starting about four years ago to where I wasn't having to do as much. And the original reason I hired the guys was so I could do less. And, uh, and then it's just, they've just been phenomenal. The, the, the four or five guys that I've been doing that, that have come on board the last couple of years, one who's been with me forever, uh, Paul Stewart. And then, uh, and then, uh, Matt Kelly, Jeff Rowe, 
um, Sergio. Uh, then I've had some other guys that have been then uh, been helping a little bit too. So it's been it's been just a blast, and and they've done such a phenomenal job. I'm able to not do as many trips now. I get guys calling and requesting them instead of me, you know, which is awesome because <laughs> I get to have a little bit more time off. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, mm. a little bit more time to go hunt for your fr- yourself and family and things like that. Yeah, um, and that that's been a really neat thing the last couple of years, you know. Um, and uh, so yeah, you know, <clears throat> I'd say. I haven't been, I think just in the last two years, I've been on more deer hunts for myself than I have been in the last 15 years combined, you know, so yeah. that's been kind of, and, uh, and gotten to go just hunt with friends and, 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 uh, and I'm still, when I, what I ideally would like to do is kind of be able to go to, you know, maybe, like I said, on those busy times of year when there's two or three camps, you know, my plan is to not even have a client that week and then just kind of spend a couple of days in each camp, you know, uh, on those two or three weeks to get really oh, busy in October. <clears throat> so that would be, that's kind of where the, it, it, or I'm hoping it's headed towards. And, uh, and, and like I said, it, uh, if you would have told me five years ago that I would be trusting my clients to new guys, I was such a control freak. I always, I mean, I've always <laughs> just been like that. I feel like, oh God, there's no way these guys are young and there's no way they're going to be. In fact, one of them, I won't say whose name it was, but one of them actually I kind of heard through the grapevine wanted a job about five years ago. And I thought, God, that kid's way too young. There's no way he could know what he's doing, you know? And, and so uh-huh. I kind of told the guy, I told the guy that had come to me about him. I just tell him you didn't ask me, you know, and he went to work for somebody else. And, and, uh, and then a couple of years later, um, he approached me about it. And, and it was funny because during the two or three years between that time, he was just, knocking it out of the park with another outfitter and i just remember kicking myself thinking man why didn't i hire this guy you know and yeah. and uh he's really, he's really good and then then just kind of a fluke circumstances he ended up uh at my house and uh and uh ended up through somebody else and we talked he ended up talking about getting a job and i hired him on the spot and, and he's just been phenomenal ever since so it's been really a blessing to have guys like that that work so hard that are so good that are so passionate about it and uh and I don't want to make it sound like I'm not. I just mean they're just so much younger and so much more. Uh, they're just, I don't know. They're just extremely, extremely passionate. They just do a great job for my clients. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And that's really been something that's allowed me to take a step back and, and not do as much as I used to do. And they seem to want to do something every week. They're crazy. They'll want to go coyote hunting when the season's over, you know, or <laughs> I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't been hunting since the day my, since the season ended. So they'll call it want to go coyote hunting or something so yeah it's been it's been pretty awesome yeah well i mean i think i think you kind of you, you obviously you're doing stuff right number one but number two um i think that's incredible how you went from yeah i don't know that this is ever going to be my career to 80 to 90 hunters a year and <laughs> you know I mean, that, that's, that's an insane jump. Um, but I, I was looking at some of the reviews on your website and all of, uh, there was quite a few of them that were talking about how personable the hunt was and how enjoyable it was to be around you and how it, you know, it seemed kind of like one-on-one type hunts. So that's <clears throat> really amazing with that many people that you're, that you're able to keep that feeling, you know? So I don't, um, 
I don't, I don't think, you know, I think you can rest assured that uh, if, if people just go, go read your reviews, I don't think they're going to think you're taking all 80 of them at once. That's for sure. <laughs> well, and then, like I said, it never, and I don't even know that. I mean, it's, it's changed. I know for sure it's been that many on years and it just depends yeah. on what years we're doing. And like some years we would do archery over the counter stuff and that makes it go up at the end of the year or, or you know, Mexico and stuff like that. But now I, I would say, like I said, it's still personal. It's just, it's not necessarily as personal with me because sometimes guys will book and do a hunt with say Jeff and Matt and I won't be on that camp, you know, but they're still getting a personal experience with Jeff and Matt, you know, yeah, and yeah. it's not, like I said, it's not a big, it's not geared towards a big group of guys and, and, uh, you know, and, and the numbers just running them through. And, uh, <clears throat> that's one of the things that I've really tried to keep down. And I'm also trying to keep down to where we're not hiring, you know, part-time guys and just you know just bringing anybody to go and do hunts for a couple hundred bucks a day i'm trying to dig the same guys year after year and 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 uh, they all do it they all do it full-time for me during the you know during that period you know that whatever that six-month season is they're all working they don't have a they don't have another job they have to be worried about or stressed about they're they're only doing that which is a huge difference because it, it helps them with scouting they're not worried about getting done early to have to get back to something because they're behind at work and so all the guys work for me are doing it full time as their job. Um, I mean, with the exception, I have a really close friend, that, uh, Jason Campbell, that'll come and do one trip a year just because I talk him into doing it, you know, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so he'll come and help me and do a trip. But other than that, it's pretty much, you know, his brother, him and his brother will come and each do like a trip a year to help out or something on a, on a trip or that kind of stuff. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's the same guys doing every week with us. So, and I think that awesome. helps a bunch. They get to work together with each other all the time and it all helps yeah. out. Yeah. I could see where that would be extremely <laughs> beneficial. Um, what States do you guys currently offer hunts in? Uh, just Nevada and Arizona. Oh, really? <laughs> um, that's... Some of my guys, that's it. And my guides also, my guides will do, um, they'll go and work with other outfitters like in Mexico and stuff. And I don't do Mexico at all. I go down there for fun with my buddy and his kids and, and uh, I went down there last year with my kid, but for the most part, it's all in Nevada and in and, and Arizona. And there's enough stuff in Nevada and Arizona that, you know, there's a hunt going on every day from August 10th until, you know, uh, early December. Then I come back to Arizona and do, you know, I really don't do nearly as much in Arizona as I used to. Um, and it's kind of a funny deal. It, it started off years ago. I was Arizona you know, and <clears throat> I had a break in October cause there was really not much going on in Arizona in October. Most of the hunts, I mean, there's some coos deer hunts, I guess I've, I've never been a coos deer hunter. And, and, uh, so I just didn't, and I have nothing against coos deer. I just, you know, people weren't calling me to do coos deer hunts. I'd never done them. And so I was always off in October and, uh, a friend of mine, um, Joey Sabellini, who's a local guy here in Prescott, he was going to, um, he was going to uh, Nevada and just hunting and telling me how great it was. And, and the dates were all in October. You know, the, the bulk of the deer hunts take place in October in Nevada. And uh, so he told me about this. Uh, I think he told me or he wasn't. So he, I know he was the original one that got me interested in it. And and, uh, and then I heard about, I think I read about it in a magazine that, um, that there was a guy that had, who was talking about it in an article, how he'd drawn eight years in a row in Nevada on a guide draw through an outfitter. So I looked into it, went and got my guide's license. And, and, uh, the very first year I just took a bunch of friends and, and, uh, cause I didn't, you know, we didn't have any idea what we were doing over there. We just, so I took a bunch of buddies and, and, uh, <laughs> I think, 
I think we drew 18 people and we did Holy it over hell. a four week. <laughs> no, it was a five week, five week span. And I took four buddies a week and we'd go over there just to kind of, I was basically trying to learn it. I told them, I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't, it wasn't much. It was enough where I didn't lose money by the time I fed them. And we went over there and just kind of went, honey, it was funny. It was one of our better years. You know, we had a great time and, <laughs> and, uh, but it was also, I think, I think probably over two thirds of the people I took were guides, you know, from over here, friends of mine that all guide. And, and so we all went over there and had a good time and learned it for the first year. And then after that, I started taking clients. And, uh, so when it started off, I was, I was in the I was in Arizona the majority of the year. And then just due to circumstances where the draws changed and when they did the, when they actually did their application process, you know, Nevada's came first. So we would start, you know, booking deer hunters and then pretty soon we started doing you know booking so many hunts and as it got bigger and bigger in nevada i I was you're never i I never wanted to turn away somebody in nevada hoping i would draw somebody for that same week in arizona does that make sense yeah yeah i would i would i would basically you know in the beginning we would just get enough that we could do october and then pretty soon we'd start getting calls for you know elk hunts in november and deer hunts in november and 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 archery hunts in august and before you know it I would just start booking those. And then by the time the Arizona draw came out, which was last, do you remember years ago in Arizona, the draw didn't come out until the end of July, you know, it was usually around the end of July, the first of August when we got our draw results. So by then we were, you know, of the 26 weeks that were available throughout the fall, we'd have 20 of them already booked in Nevada. So then there was only a few weeks left to do in Arizona and just kept, that's how it evolved into it. Now, Nevada in Arizona or Nevada, Nevada, Arizona, I'm sorry, excuse me, Arizona's elk results come back earlier now, you know, like I think Arizona's results come out now the end of March. So yeah, it, it, so it really didn't, it, that's, it only did it just because, so now it'll probably start switching back. We'll probably start drawing guys at Arizona and we'll start booking those dates. And then we won't have room when the, when the Nevada results come out in June for, right. the, for the general stuff, you know? So it really isn't about preference. It was more about just opportunity. We were booking the people that, you know, whichever draws came first and that keeps changing. So as it changes, we have to keep changing which state we do more in. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's an interesting thing you bring up. Cause I do the same thing with buddies, you know, when I have friends from Georgia or Pennsylvania or whatever, that want to come elk hunting in Wyoming. I say, well, you know, put in for Wyoming because the, the draw results for elk come out like February 28th, you know? So, right. Uh, hey, if if you don't draw, we're going to know early that you didn't draw and we can figure out something else. So put in for Wyoming, you know, because it's if they get all their money back too. you know, Wyoming is one of those states that gets all the money back. So uh, that's a huge plus. Oh, yeah. Uh, with with your be only being in Arizona, and Nevada, um, what is. What's your thoughts behind not expanding to, say, Utah, Colorado or Wyoming and just bringing more people that you trust on board? What's what's kind of holding you back from doing that? Oh, probably the more than any. I mean, it's <clears throat> nowadays. Um, I'll probably get told for saying this kind of stuff like, <laughs> as far as permitting and stuff. When you like, for example, Colorado, I love Colorado. I like hunting it for myself. But man, there's just a lot involved to be an outfitter in Colorado. There's permits. There's there's Forest Service permits. There's and and they're not like it's like in I grew up in Arizona, where in Arizona, if you have a um, if you have a Forest Service permit, you're not you're not exclusive. Anybody else can go and get that Forest Service permit. And 
to me, that's the way to do it because it forces people, uh, it, le- it allows people, excuse me, to choose who they go with. Does that make sense? Um, mm-hmm. They don't have to go with the outfitters of the permit. So even if I wanted to, and I really don't have any desire. I, I love hunting Colorado for myself. I have no desire to go over there and guide. If you did, like I said, the, the dates would be something that um, there's already every date that's available. I can fill in Arizona and Nevada and, and keep all my guys busy. I would have to hire more people. And then in doing that, it would make it even, I, I don't know, just to me, it would seem like it's just not the direction I want to go get too big. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I wouldn't enjoy it. I'd be too stressed about it. And right now, the way it is, I'm, I'm happy. Um, I mean, I, I get to do as many trips as I could possibly want to do. Um, my guys are all getting the amount of trips that they all want to do. And um, I feel like if I did that, it would just add more stress to it. I'm already a stressor. I, it's great. I book all the trips and then I stress for three months thinking about all these people, you know, and even though it's, <laughs> it's, uh, I trust everybody and we, and we know we're doing it. It's still stressful because it's somebody that's given you, you know, to me, that's a lot of money when someone's paying you. And I, I really, there is nothing worse to me than when somebody goes home without something. And it, 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 it like, it makes me nauseous. You know, It really yeah, bothers yeah. me. And, and so, you know, and it's going to happen, you know, and, and when you're, especially now when you have people that are, wanting to kill bigger and bigger animals. And, and, uh, in the beginning, you know, we had a totally different clientele, you know, 35 years ago when I started, it was, it was, you know, any six point people were just ecstatic to shoot, you know, and, and there were no expectations. And, and as it's gone on and on and on, you get more and more people. And then you have people applying based on what you shot last year. And then they want to shoot something like that. So it's just, it's never ending. And I, I think it's something that, and don't get me wrong. I enjoy it. I enjoy, I'm a very competitive person and I enjoy trying to find the best animal I can, but it's also stressful because if someone comes to you and they only want to shoot, say a 200 inch animal, the majority of them are going home without a deer, you know? And when that yeah. happens, I don't care where you're hunting, you know, if, <clears throat> you know, if you're, if you're hunting the strip or you're hunting someplace like the Henry's, you know, the, the absolute top of the top places, which I don't really do, um, I don't hunt those, you know, then, you know, I think there's a more realistic, but when you're hunting Nevada, the, the bottom line, there's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of 200 inch deer that get killed every year. It's, um, and it's something that, so if somebody's hunting just those, you're going to have people to go home without them. And that's really tough. And if I started spreading out and going into other States, I, I don't think the, uh, I just, to me, the risk wouldn't be worth the reward or, or the stress wouldn't be worth the reward. Let's put it that way. Gotcha. No, that, that, that makes perfect sense to me. I, uh, I, uh, yeah, it, let's just, let's just go with that. It makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, kind of, a uh, a more broad and generic question that, that I've kind of had ever since we started talking and hearing how passionate you are about hunting and, you know, the times that you got to spend with your dad and building a career around it. Um, what, what does, you know, obviously I know your career is based on it. Um, but what does hunting in itself mean to you? You know, if I look around at, you know, my, my closest friends, um, the best experiences I've had with my kids, um, certainly the best experiences I've had with my dad, they've all been revolved around, I mean, they've all revolved around a hunting experience, you know, um, you know, my dad and I spent a lot of time together. We don't have a lot of, my dad and I don't have really a lot in common other than hunting, you know, my dad's kind of a quiet, he's the opposite of me. 
you know, he's quiet, <laughs> reserved. Um, and, but that was something we used to do together, you know, and especially with me, my brothers really weren't into hunting like I was. So that was something that me and my dad got to do together, you know, something that, that, uh, that was just he and I. So that was a huge part of the relationship I formed with my dad over the years. And, and, uh, I still hunt with my dad, my dad, he's getting older now. My dad's probably 77 now. And, uh, he still goes out and he scouts with me on elk hunts and, and, uh, comes along on my daughter's hunts and, uh, he still even helps pack at 77. And he's That's awesome. a yeah, it is. It's pretty great. And, uh, <clears throat> I was, I remember making a post a couple of years ago where my dad went out and scout with me and I was just blown. I, I don't, I take it for granted. I don't even think about the fact that he's 77. He's walking around with his big backpack on and, uh, <laughs> and, and it kind of, I took a picture of it and I posted, it. I, I still can't believe it. You know, he's out there, it's raining, he's old school and he's wearing jeans and, <laughs> he's waiting and he's got on and a wool shirt that's just drenched, you know, and, uh, and, uh, but yeah, it's evolved it around that. Yeah, it, it, and then like with my daughters, I have one daughter that was more into it to the other than the other, and and uh, it was a really um, my daughter that's shyer and quieter is the one that was into hunting, and and uh, more so that was a lot of time that she and I got to spend together that we probably wouldn't have otherwise, you know, and we'd go shooting together to get ready for hunts, and and uh, and you know, I think this year we got to spend. Uh, I mean, I don't know. We got to go on eleven day hunt together, just she and I. We came home for Christmas, and you know, for a day for Christmas, and we went back out, and we've gotten to do some other hunts. And then, and then, uh, my other daughter hunted also a little bit, but she's not really into it as much. But you know, she and I have other things that we do together that we have in common. You know, but so I'm I'm not saying it's only hunting, but I just mean there's been so many different opportunities that hunting hunting has brought to bring me closer to my daughter, to bring me closer to yeah. my dad my friends, you know, I, I look at some, especially some of the friends I've met over the years in hunting and guiding. Some of my closest friends I met originally as clients and then have become really good friends. Bob Moore is a great example. I met Bob <clears throat> years ago um, when he came on an over the, not an over, yeah, an over the counter archery deer hunt with some friends and, and we just stayed really close. We've been on a ton of hunts together. And now I, I I'm pretty sure he's been on, this was the first hunt he's ever missed of my daughter's. You know, he comes out on every hunt when my daughter draws and, and, uh, and and stayed with us. And I, you know, we, we've, he comes on my own personal hunt and and we've just become really good friends over the years. And that's somebody I never would have met if it wasn't for my business. And, uh, so there's just been a lot of things. Most of my, you know, closer friends that I've remained, you know, you know, as, as I've gotten older, you know, your circle gets smaller and smaller as you get older and you kind of get more distant from older people, friends that you haven't, you know, seen a long time. Most of my friends are somehow connected to hunting, you know, so yeah. not designed, but it just happens that way. So I'm, I'm thankful for hunting. It keeps you in contact with a lot of people that, that you, you know, that, you know, I look back at all the people I used to be friends with years and years and years ago, and there's just, we have nothing in common. So you, you just naturally grow apart. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. <clears throat> so, of course. I, yeah, I have. Yeah, I kind of kind of the same way. I have a few friends that um that that's exactly how we met, you know. Uh 
one of one of my best buddies is kind of the, kind of like you're saying a friend of mine says hey want to go turkey hunting and i'm thinking turkey hunting for real no not really but sure what it's college what the heck else do i have to do yeah. <laughs> and uh so he's like my my friend nate's coming along now me and nate are almost like brothers and i don't ever talk to the other kid you know so i i completely understand that and it's um and like you growing up, my sister didn't hunt. Uh, she, she, I think she went twice, you know, and, and so hunting has kind of always been, you know, what me and dad do together and camping and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, so I, 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 I completely get it. It makes perfect sense to me. Um, now I would like to, uh, to kind of start diving into some things about mule deer. I mean, you've, you've probably been along on a couple mule deer hunts, um, maybe shot one or two yourself, you know? (laughs) Um, yeah, every time, every time I turn around, I'm, I see pictures of you and you and your bucks or you and your clients bucks. And just, I'm amazed. Um, man, I'm actually I'm actually looking at a deer of, of you right now, you with a Arizona strip buck uh, in 2008, and it's just, yeah, it's just it's just a monster, of course, you know that something that I think you're obviously known for. <laughs> well, that was a fun hunt. I got to go on that one with a bunch of. I, I drew that with one of my good friends, Pat Losher, and we actually drew it on separate tags. I mean, on separate applications, and uh, that was a and it was a good year, you know, a good wet year and. And, uh, that, that was, that was a lot of fun. A lot of, I got to go up there with four or five good friends and, and we had a great time. <clears throat> That's cool. That, and that, you know, I mean, that kind of brings me to something that I was wondering about is, do you find that hunting mule deer is hunting mule deer? And what I mean by that is, are you basically using the same tactics when it comes to hunting them at, you know, in Nevada and Arizona as you would in Mexico and Colorado, or do you kind of use a different set of tap tactics for the terrain and the state and things like that? I mean, it varies a little bit, but you know, for the most part with me, I, um, and I'm not saying it's the right way. I'm just saying for me and the style that I like is I really enjoy glassing. And uh-huh. <clears throat> because of that, um, I mean, to a fault, like there's places where there's other styles you could use and I don't do it as much cause I'm stubborn, you know? And so I, I enjoy personally glassing in big looks. My, my belief has always been that there's no special, there's no special way to find a big buck. They don't hang out in, different spots we've shot you always hear the thing that oh you got to get the furthest away from the roads and you got to do this and you you have to have this combination and this combination this combination of things for a big buck to be big i'm not a big believer in that i'm a big believer in a big buck is wherever he ends up you know and yeah the more deer you look at my theory is that the more bucks you look at the better chance you have of finding a big buck i spent years with with someone who's probably one of the most prominent, um, and I don't want to say who it is because because I disagree with this one small aspect of their hunting, you know. But he's 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 one of the most prominent uh, mule deer guys, and we just we used to fight over this constantly, you know. He and I did, and his theory was always, man, go to the furthest, you know, the one spot that you can't see from anywhere, and you hike into it where no one else is going to be, and that's where that biggest buck is going to be hanging out. 
And the problem I always felt like with that theory was, is that, yeah, you could go in there and it took forever to get into that spot to go look at that one place for no one was. And then you get in there and there would only be three deer in there. And at the, and you know, and the odds of one of those three deer being a giant were so slim. And now it was a two day excursion to go and do that. You know, whereas I would do areas where I could move and go to the more and look at more and more deer. And in the same amount of time, I felt like if I looked at a couple hundred bucks in a, in a two week period, just by sheer numbers, I was going to turn a really big one. Whereas if he did his method and, and we would sometimes scout separately and do that. And, and when he would do his method for seven days um, and don't get me wrong, he would see more mature bucks, but he was only looking at in that seven day span, he'd only look at 15 bucks, you know, and during, and, and then usually it wouldn't be a real giant one, you know, because there weren't enough numbers. So I've always believed that get on the biggest, biggest look around where you can see the most amount of terrain. And, and then the more deer you see, the better chance you are going to have at a bigger buck. You know, when I go to Colorado for my own tags, I don't know Colorado. I don't know the terrain. I don't know the area. I don't know the history. I just try to find the biggest possible look I can and then start looking at deer and, and then hope that, that if I look at enough of them, I'm going to find a big one. And like I said, I'm not saying it's the right way, but it's just the way I've always liked it. And it's part of that is just because I really enjoy glassing. You know, I, I like hiking up on a big knob and sitting down for hours and hours looking 360 and I, I don't ever get bored glassing. I get really bored, you know, uh, hiking around looking at little small pockets of area that I don't know why <laughs> it's just not my stock, you know? And so yeah. I like getting up right to the seat. Gotcha. So what is, uh, so what is your, I choose. I to... go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just was going to ask you, no, just... um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a slight lag everyone so <laughs> um i was just going to ask you uh with classing that much what uh are if you're using like 15s on a tripod or a spotter or what you prefer to use um i use a variety of different long range optics i, I definitely use 15s on a tripod um and i also use um the Swarovski BTXs, the last couple of years I've been using those and those are really good glass. And then I use the 95s and the 35 power. And then I also use uh, the Dr. 40s. Now I don't carry those two together. I pick one or the other whenever I'm doing it. Um, they both have their advantages. The BTXs are half the weight. Um, not quite half, but almost half the weight. Um, like one's 11 pounds and one's six something. So there's quite a bit of difference in weight um the advantage to the um i've just used the doctors a long time the doctor 40 wide angles they both have uh, a, a bigger field of view on the uh, doctors so if, I, if it's not as far of hiking i'll typically use those i do have some nerve damage in my neck um from glassing a lot over the years and so those angled eyepieces on the btx really helped me out a lot they relieve that pressure in my neck so i kind of go back and gotcha. forth um, if I use those too long, that'll start. So I'll use, I typically go back and forth. Some days I'll use the BTXs. Sometimes I'll use the BTXs all week. And then the next week I'll use the doctors. They're both real high quality glass. So either one of those I'm really, uh, but I, I just, I always have one of those two in my pack, either the doctor forties or the BTX 95s and then a pair of 15s. I usually don't even carry a real small one. I, I will now, I just switched over to a pair of, uh, um, I just bought a pair of Zeiss 10s. Not for the binocular. I mean, they are a binocular, but I bought them for their uh, 
the ballistic holdovers they have in that they have the rangefinder with the ballistic holdover similar to like a G7 monocular where it doesn't just give you the range it does all the uh it does it does all the calculations uh for like long range shooting so oh, it gives you cool. the actual holdovers huh that's awesome with uh so with your glassing are you do you basically climb up on your knob and uh you know cover the spots where you think deer are most likely to be first or do you climb up there and start gridding wide right away what what's kind of your uh your process for glassing i don't grid i kind of get up on a hill and i'm not i'm not if i do i don't realize i'm doing it i mean at least i eventually i do look at everything but i picture what i think would be the spot a deer would be first if it's a new area um and then if I don't find deer, then I'll continue to move on and, you know, and start looking at everything. Well, eventually I'll just, I guess in a sense, I probably am eventually gritting at the end. Um, whereas if it's a place I normally hunt or, you know, a, a place I glass quite often, then I will, you know, deer just seem to always be in the same spots. It's, it's kind of, you know, bigger bucks tend to go to the same places, even, you know, two different big bucks from years past off the same knob. I seem to find them in the same places, you know, like 10 years ago, we found big bucks in this particular drainage. There tends to be, I don't know, big bucks seem to like think a lot alike, you know, so they'll end up going to the same place in bed um, for whatever reason they like that about that area. So I'll look at places that I feel will hold big deer. And then um, from there I'll go and, uh, and then uh, just, I mean, obviously I don't just stop there. If I don't find one, I'll look at everything, but I definitely go to the places that I, that I think look the best first and look at those. And then I'll start looking at everything eventually. I got you. That that makes, that makes sense to me. That's kind of, um, I find myself gritting, uh, cause I've noticed that if I don't grit, I kind of am, am, uh, really, really sporadic and I'll just kind of bounce around everywhere and then not really give things the look that it deserved. I think maybe <laughs> yeah. probably the best way for me to put that. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's the, my ADD, man. I sometimes I get up there and I'm bouncing all over hell. So, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, you mentioned how important glassing is to you. Uh, so, what would if you had to pick? What would maybe two other tactics be that you really rely on heavily when it comes to locating the big bucks? Um, you know, water. I've never been a you know, a lot of guys are using cameras now, and up until I think, I think last year was the first year, um, uh, a couple of my guides convinced me to buy some cameras and have them run cameras, and um, I don't think we, to me, it was a, I don't know, I just didn't enjoy it for, um, I know it's the opposite of what your question is, what I do do, I'm telling you what I don't do now, but I just mean, I don't no, know what cameras. Like, in that particular instance, I almost felt like, and don't get me wrong, I I know cameras are killing big deer. There's no doubt about it. It's just for me and and my clients and the quality with the hunt. We did hunt a big. We did find a deer last year. One of my guides did found a big deer. The problem with it is, is there were 35 cameras there, you know, uh, on one water source, and so 35 people knew about the deer. So yeah, it was a big deer that we wouldn't have known otherwise about a camera but I would have preferred to do it a different way where we were finding a deer and then hunting them 
and uh, where you don't have the people knowing about it. Because right there, it was it was a zoo. It was it caused all kinds of problems. I really didn't enjoy it. You know that if, I wouldn't have called that week a super enjoyable week that we hunted there. Where there's people everywhere, and and um, eventually those bucks will get killed. You know. And mm-hmm. because there's so many people hunting them, but I don't think it helped my chances of killing a big buck. It, it just helped the chances of that big buck getting killed was what cameras did. So I don't necessarily, um, I think last year and, um, I know for a fact we never killed a deer. We were never able to kill a deer that we found on a camera. Um, and maybe we're not doing it right. <laughs> you know, now we killed deer that other people had on camera, obviously somewhere, but we weren't running cameras. So we were hunting them where they were living. Um, and I think we just got lucky that they were watering a long ways away from there because I don't even know where they were watering in some of these bucks, but, um, there was certainly nobody else hunting them. So I, I can't imagine they were, you know, watering nearby cause there were cameras nearby. Um, yeah. and if somebody had them on camera, there would have been a million people there. So if for some right. reason they were watering <laughs> in sort of a source where there wasn't people. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? I, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have a few cameras. I think I have four and I just, I kind of in the same way, you know, I, and maybe I wasn't cautious enough with putting them out and hanging them up or whatever, but there's times when I'd get a whole bunch of stuff on there. And then there's other times when I'd put it, you know, close to the same spot and I wouldn't get a damn thing on there. And I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if I am putting scent on the camera or whatever else, but part of me almost feels, especially with, old mature animals part of me feels that less intrusiveness is better you know and going in and putting cameras up and and then going up and checking them and all that stuff it seems like a lot of activity in an area that uh you know if you see a deer when you're walking in or walking out or an elk when you're walking in, you can't even shoot it because it's not season yet <laughs> right so and i don't know i, I just I've never been, I just, and I'm not, obviously I'm not trying to say cameras don't work. I think they work to a fault. You know, there's a lot of big deer getting killed because of cameras. I don't say that or I just mean that I just don't, I, there's a lot of people that really enjoy it and setting them and checking them. And, and like, hello, it feels like, like I had this conversation with a good friend of mine, um, Taylor Price, who runs a lot of cameras in, in Nevada and he's a really good hunter. And, and, uh, and we drove around one day and I went around with him and checked cameras. And he's like, he's like so excited to go to every camera the whole time. I'm thinking, man, when can we go to a convenience store and get some chicken wings? You know, this is boring <laughs> me out of my mind, you know, or, and, and it was so hot and it's the middle of the day. And he's, I mean, we drove, I, I made him drive an hour to some gas station that sold chicken wings in the middle of the day. Cause I was <laughs> bored out of my mind checking trail cameras. And he kept saying to me, man, how do you not like this? this aren't you excited to see what's on the next camera? I'm like, no, I don't. I hate this. I said, it's going to be crazy. You know, and then we, we run to go somewhere so we can glass that night for, you know, an hour right before dark. And don't get me wrong. He does a lot of glassing too. I'm not picking on Taylor. He's a great, great hunter. I just mean, yeah. he just, man, he's like loves it. You know, just, he, he just can't even wrap his head. You know, he can't wrap his head around the fact that I, I'm just not as excited as he is to go drive around all day long on these bouncy roads, <laughs> cameras, you know, and, and to me it was like god man drop me off and come back and pick me up you know right and uh, but no it's, so i just it's just not something i enjoy you know i don't know uh-huh. you know um it's not something i really enjoy doing it's it's not for me but if it is for you i mean i don't it's just i, I personally i like 
I like glassing, even if it's, you know, like I said, it's probably some of the things I like doing are to a fault. You know, I don't, I'm not saying it probably would be beneficial to run a couple hundred camera. I know it would be, you know, I just, but I don't know. It's not something that I really enjoy. And, uh, but the biggest thing, like I said, is I don't know that it helps the person running the camera. You know, I mean, uh, by not running a camera and when we find a deer without using cameras, that's in an area that's not, you know, using say a guzzler or something like that with maybe that's using a spring and no one can get him on camera because the water runs. When we find a buck in a place like that, we seem to have it all by ourselves because so many people are relying on cameras nowadays that when we find one in a place that isn't camera friendly, we have him all to ourselves. And then I, we usually get him killed. And whereas when we find one that's using a game and fish guzzler somewhere where there's 35 cameras, there's so many people hunting that you never see the buck, you know, he just goes nocturnal, you know, and eventually somebody kills him because there's 35 guys walking around in there that eventually somebody stumbles into him, but it's usually not us, you know? So that's why I've kind of, uh, that's just my theory on it. I feel like if I can find one somewhere else, um, even if I have to look at more deer until I finally find a big one, if I do find a big one, that's not using a, a, a guzzler that's using a spring that maybe runs and um, not everybody has cameras on, then I feel like we have a better chance of getting them killed and, Plus, it's more enjoyable when there's less people around, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So it almost—it sounds like you know, you guys are, you guys are just focusing more on where they're actually living and not where they're, you know, traveling to go get to go get water, basically. Yeah, I'm I'm hunting them wherever I found them, you know. So if I can find them somewhere yeah. blasting, and you know, then I'm I'm continuing to focus on those spots where I've seen them, and and um, and. You know, I try to, I really do try to avoid, I'm not always like last year I hunted, you know, me and Jason Campbell hunted a buck that a lot of people knew about, you know, from cameras and there were other people in there. And so, but it was a buck that we wanted to shoot. So we kept hunting him and, and, um, eventually got him. Um, but, or Jason actually went back on his own and killed him. Um, we didn't kill him when he was, when I was there, we, he shot him up. <clears throat> yeah. He went back and, and killed him a few weeks later on the muzzleloader hunt and finally got him and killed him. And, and it, it's not that we don't hunt them that way, that we won't. It's just that I can think of other years, like the year before, Jason and I hunted a buck that um, Taylor actually glassed up. Um, Taylor was with us, uh, who I was talking about running the cameras. We, we didn't have any uh -huh. cameras down there, but we were just all together. And Taylor glassed him up, and we hunted that buck. And, man, we had it all to ourselves. I mean, we never killed the buck, but, man, for two weeks or 11 whatever it was how many days it was that we hunted down where he was at we never had another hunter there was nobody you know it was just us every day and and uh, that was uh, a thousand times more enjoyable to me than uh than hunting the other place where there was a ton of people because the buck was on a camera so i think um i think probably uh my preference would be just to go and find a buck and hunt him Gotcha. And that that's buck cool. was living in an area where there was extreme running, you know, where the water ran for hundreds and hundreds of yards. So there was no way to get a camera. I'm not saying there's no way. I guess the guy could go run enough cameras. He might be able to get him. But the point is nobody had him on camera or they would have been down there. It was that kind of a buck, you know. And so he was drinking at some part along the creek where there was, you know, uh, in a pretty isolated area where there was no cameras. So because of it, people that had cameras there at the main part of the spring didn't get pictures of them. So because they didn't have pictures, they never went down there and hunted. And, and I'm convinced of it because if someone had pictures of them, there's just no way they wouldn't have been hunting this deer. You know, he was gotcha. quite a bit bitter than the deer that had the 35 people hunting him, you know, and 
So I, I know it's because there wasn't, no one had pictures of them. So that's the kind of stuff I try to look for. Cool. Cool. How many of the, of the deer that you guys hunt, do you have history with? And I don't mean, you know, you shot at them and missed or whatever, but, um, how, how often do you see a, a really stellar two, three or four year old and be like, okay, um, two years from now, this is going to be a stomper buck. Um, does that happen quite a bit or not, not all that often? That happens almost, I would say the big bucks we kill, almost 90% of them are not deer that we've hunted the first time. You know, they're all bucks that we've hunted uh, several for years. You know, last year, <clears throat> I think I saw on your on your live story, I'll give you an example. One that, that I think you, I'm not that familiar with how live story works on Instagram. I just, I barely can Me figure neither, out the regular man. part of it. <laughs> but you post a picture of it like that that big wide 36 inch buck that was from last year. Yep. Uh, I th- and that buck, for example, um, we've hunted that buck for three. That was the third straight year of hunting that buck. And we finally killed him. And it was funny is that buck, Jason Campbell, uh, originally found that buck guiding, a um, one of my late hunts in, and it was in a different unit, if you can believe that. Um, so Jason found that buck and hunted him and one year and then the next year he went back with a guy and hunted him and has a really good video of that buck and they didn't end up getting him killed and uh and so this was the third year and so i went down there with one of my hunters to try to kill that buck hoping he would show back up where he on his winter range and rut and then we ended up killing him in a totally different unit 25 miles away um that same day. So I was down there looking for him in that country. And then when I get back up, my guy, Matt Kelly had relocated them that night. And it was, what was so funny is we didn't even recognize him because it was so far away. He was on summer range still. And I had found this deer in August, the very end when I was hunting with Brittingham on the last day, I found or second, last day, I found that buck and got some video of him. And then Matt Kelly found him again in September when he was doing an archery elk hunt in the same, within a, you know, half a mile where I had seen him. And then Taylor had found him while guiding for me on opening day of the rifle hunt. And we didn't get him killed. Somebody passed him, believe it or not. And then, and I don't want to say that guy's name to torture him because he's a good friend of mine, a good client and a good friend, but I'm, I'm going to be nice. So he passed him. (laughs) And, uh, and, uh, he's, well, part of the problem was he killed a 209 buck the year before with me. And so this was like the first day of the season and, uh, and he passed it. And, uh, I told him he's becoming a very difficult client. He used to want to shoot every 180 plus deer. They, I mean, you know, anything was in the high eighties he thought was awesome, which it is. And then he, then he shoots a 209. I told him he's turning into a big buck snob. And so he passes this buck <laughs> and, and, uh, I've been, I, I was giving him crap for, weeks and then of course i started when i when i found out he passed i took the, my other client we went there and hunted that buck hard and i just could not turn him you know i i'd see the buck that he was with when they passed him one day i saw the buck that he was with and i could see the body of another deer stepping into some trees but we didn't know if it was him and and obviously we couldn't shoot him and and then uh i i would find his tracks every single day where he was and i knew he was still there but i just couldn't find him and couldn't find him and finally i i gave up on him and, um, 
And all this time, I never even put two and two that it's the same buck Jason's been hunting with us, you know, for us with my clients in the other unit. And it never even occurred to me because it was so far away that it was the same buck. And, uh, and then I, so I went back to the other unit, started going down south. We did one camp together where I had guys on both sides of the highway. So I switched clients and went down south to go look for that buck, the one that Jason had hunted, not realizing it's the same buck I've been hunting the last couple of weeks. You know, and I'm going down there to look for him. And Matt Kelly takes a different client and goes back in there. And keep in mind, we haven't seen this buck in probably three, two or three, probably two weeks now, you know. And we've been hunting him at least every other day in that area and have not seen him once. And Matt goes in there and comes back to camp the night with video where they, um, that evening. And uh, they end up, I think he, well, let me think. He saw him that morning and, and somehow the buck kind of got boogered by another hunter. And instead of going into the really thick tree line, he went into like an island of trees in some more open stuff. And so Matt went out there and set up on it all, you know, that afternoon with the hunter and buck came out and Matt got him killed. And after he killed him, I had no idea that it was the buck I was just hunting. And here I've been hunting this buck since July, you know, August. And I never put the two together. And I took a photo of it and sent it to Jason Campbell and just showing him the buck. Cause I, I told him about the buck or showed him the buck in July or August, the video of the buck. And I sent it to him. The minute he saw the kill photo, he texted me up and I think he thought I shot it in the other unit. You know, he's like, Oh, you found him. I'm like, this is the buck. And anyway, through all the confusion, I figured out what he was saying. And he sent me video and sure enough, it's the buck that we've been hunting for two years down South. And he's 25 to 30 miles away in another unit on summer range. And and we ended up with him. So, and that's a more of a story of a, a buck we've hunted that we kind of got really lucky on. Most of the bucks that we're killing, I would say we have a multiple year history of, but maybe we don't get them. The really big ones, it's because we didn't get them when they were 190 and we tried. <laughs> you know, maybe we didn't kill them when they were 200. We tried. And then all of a sudden they blew up to 230 and then you kill them, you know. And so a lot of those, almost every one of the really big bucks we've killed, we've hunted for multiple years before we got them killed, you know, like right now we have a buck in 231 that we've been, I've got three straight years. I have video of him three years ago. Then Jeff Rowe took one of my clients in there and he videoed it. Here's where I found him again and, and videoed him and, and he just keeps getting bigger and bigger. We just haven't been able to kill him. We've been so close, but I'm hoping this year, this is a buck that we can get killed. And, and I think this year, the kind of moisture we're getting, he's going to really blow up and be one of those all. That's the potential to be one of those just all timer type bucks. So, you know, th- most of the big bucks, we rarely. Um, I-, I was talking about this same thing the other day with somebody. I think I can count on one hand and the number of big bucks that we've killed that we just kind of stumbled into. You know, it, unless it's been a rut hunt. You know what I mean? Where you know some rut hunt where you know, your scouting's out the window. Everything's just migrating and rutting and, you know, like in 22. But, but we very rarely killed a big buck that we just kind of seen for the first time on a hunt. You know, it's almost always a buck that we knew about or, you know, had an inventory up from the year before. And, and uh, it just seems big bucks are just, it's just rare. You're just going to stumble into one another, especially if you've been in there bow hunting all year and then muzzleload running, the odds of some giant buck just being in there that you never knew about and then finding them on the rifle when they're the most difficult to find when they're hard horned is pretty slim. So usually it's the bigger bucks are all bucks that we've been hunting in, in, you know, not just that year, but in the years past. 
Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Twenty five miles away. I mean, that's 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 a long ways. You hear, you know, especially and especially that's a straight not, line. Yeah, that's a straight exactly. line. You can go around a whole mountain range too. Holy hell! And that's not, you know, that's not due to migration or anything. That that's that's crazy, man. Huh? That's yeah, so it's, it's funny. He just climb. moved where he lived. Yeah, he, he lived one place one year, and then he just moved. And there's when you compare the video, there is absolutely zero doubt it's the same deer. You know, he's got the same. Yeah. Everything is so unique on that buck, and everything, and it's definitely the same buck. But it, yeah, it was pretty wild. That is super wild. Do you uh, do you put any type of emphasis on you know tracking deer and and seeing tracks? I put a lot of emphasis on seeing tracks, um, and it just depends on the area. I really enjoy tracking, um, but a lot of the stuff in Nevada, it, it is really there's certain units where it works, but the a lot of the other units it just it's just not very conducive to you know um, gotcha. the, the sub units it definitely works in. Um, you know, like the, the two forty ones and, and those types of units for sure it works, but, but the units like two thirty one and, and, you know, one eleven and the, you know, two twenty twos, it's not nearly as effective in those units. I, I, I rely more on class than in those units. Is it, is it not as effective because, uh, the, you know, like the, there's, it's too grassy and stuff like that, or is it well, not as effective it's because it's more open also, and you can see? Well, the thing about it is the, you know, in order to track up an animal and then shoot him, it also has to be something to where when, even if it works and you track him up, you're then able to kill him, you know, it's, whereas in those units that are thicker, you know, it, you're not going to do much good tracking a buck into some really thick stuff and blowing him out, and not getting a shot anyway. So I try to avoid it. Whereas in a unit like, 24 it's different you can you can track him up and it's open enough and broke up enough country that you can track him up and then kick him up and still kill him you know where gotcha. you still shoot him and have, have a chance of maybe tracking him and when he goes over ridge stop looking out in front of you where you can maybe find him again and i've done a lot of that like in the lower parts of 221 to 223 and and like in 241 um those types of units but like i said tracking one up like that really big buck we were hunting uh, last year that we weren't that we did it took us a long time to kill him but when we weren't able to kill him we certainly could have gone and picked up his tracks you know and and on one of the days where we saw him going to some trees but it was so thick that i mean even if we did track him up we weren't going to get a shot we we're just going to blow him out even if we saw him it was going to be his legs running off you know um <laughs> but it really where he was living the tracking wouldn't have helped in that situation where we needed him to come out into the open so that we could kill him, which he did about every three weeks for a day. You know, it was frustrating. And Man. we just were really lucky that Jason was there when, when he, uh, it was kind of funny. Me and Taylor, we were looking for this buck for, I don't know. We probably had 10 days looking for him and, um, and hadn't seen him once we'd seen, we actually saw the buck, uh, that Jason ended up killing, which was a really big buck, but there was actually another buck we were hunting and we had not seen him for about 10. I don't think we'd seen him in 10 straight days at all. And then the day before opening day, Jason shows up and we decided to mix it up and go to different glassing knobs. And Jason goes to one knob and we went to these other knobs. And I don't even think Jason was there five minutes and the bucks, he glassed him up. And, and, I'm, and, and Jason calls on the radio and says, yeah, I've got that buck. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And he's like, no, he's right here below me. 
and, and he's filming them and he's out in the open and just walking around in this, you know, in this spot. And I thought, you gotta be kidding me. We've been here for 10 days and he hasn't showed once. And so then I thought, Oh man, we're just going to, so and he, and he was, it was in the, I can't remember if it was evening or no, it was morning. So we were just thinking, Oh man. And this is the day before opening day. So, you know, we thought, okay, we finally know where he's feeding, you know, shoot, man, we stared at that spot for the next two weeks and 11 days. We had somebody on that spot every day, looking at it from three different angles, from every imaginable angle with up Dang. to four different people looking. And we never, ever, ever turned that buck again after that. And I know he was there, you know, it just yeah. but going in there and tracking him, we would have just, like I said, he was so thick where he was living. He just, and there was enough feed in there. He just wasn't coming out. And, yeah. and then same with the other buck, the one that he ended up killing, it was funny. He was right out in the wide open one day, uh, the day that Taylor found him, he was in the wide open. And then I think it was the next morning Taylor saw him in the wide open and I was in a different spot that day. And then I think that two or three days later, I went to a look at it from a different angle and I found him in the wide open and I thought, Oh, this buck's going to be so easy to kill when Jason gets here. And, He's a 34-inch buck that's like 206, and I thought, we're going to shoot this deer because this is the one we can find every day. And then right. Jason showed up. Man, we never saw him again. And uh, <laughs> I mean, not Yeah, so that was a buck where, you know, and so we thought, oh, man, Jason will shoot this, you know. And uh, when we couldn't find the other big one, we thought, you know what, we're going to go find this one. And and then we had me and him and Jason and uh, – and uh, we just never could find him, you know, and, 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 uh, I don't think we saw him. I know we didn't see him. We, we never saw him throughout the hunt when he was there. And then after about, I don't know, it was 10 days or so. There were four of us. A lot of that time, we never found him. Then we, uh, we went and hunted another buck later, a different buck for a few, or Jason did, um, on his own with his son. And then Jason came back during the muzzleloader hunt. And I thought, God, he's just a glutton for punishment. We haven't, with four of us, we can't find him. And now he's going to go back there by himself and try to dig him up. And sure enough, he dug him up. I, I'm pretty sure he, if I remember, yeah, he found him the day before and almost killed him. Like was seconds away from shooting him as he was coming over, walking into him after glassing him up and doing a stalk. And then, something happened. I don't remember if the wind swirled or something. All I could see was his rack as he was coming up over the ridgeline, walking to him and then with a muzzleloader and then he just whirled and took off. And, and I remember thinking, well, that we'll never see him again now, Jason. And I think the next day he went without Tim. I remember thinking, well, he's calling me at night, you know, that he didn't see him the next day. And I thought, man, that deer is gone again for another three <laughs> or four weeks. And then he called me the next day. I mean, just, I could barely understand. I'd be so excited. He was standing over him. He'd shot him and he, he relocated him and, Spent all day mountain with him in the fixed up and then and then made a great shot on him and got him. So, you know, that was another buck. That just shows you how hard those bigger bucks are. Jason's one of the most hardcore, you know, um, Campbell. He's just one of the most hardcore, really, really good mule deer hunters that I know. And uh I mean there's probably there's just a handful of people that probably would have stuck it out that long and then to get it and you know be rewarded with like a buck like that, and he's one of them. Yeah. So that, that brings up a great question. At what point is enough enough? You know, at what point are you kind of thinking, okay, it's time to time to stop stressing and straining and looking for this deer and time to try and 
find something else? You know, that's a really good question. I, I personally, um, I'm a glutton for punishment on this stuff. Jason, <laughs> I mean, me and Jason, I remember sitting there last year with me, Jason, Taylor, and Jeff. And after 10 days of, you know, keep in mind, it wasn't just 10 days of hunting the buck. It was all the scouting and not seeing them. And, and we were like, that's it. We're going to, can we, we call the other unit the happy place. Cause whenever we have a big buck in the other unit, you see them every day, you know, you're stalking, <laughs> there's lots of action and there's, and we've killed just as good a bucks over there. You know, it's not like, it's not, it's not like we're selling for lesser deer, but then the other unit we were in is way lower numbers. It does have some even bigger deer and just, it's so, it's so, I don't know the word I'm looking for. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's fun. And we have a blast, whether we're seeing them or not, you know, this group of guys, we're always having a great time over there, but man, is it physically taxing, mentally taxing, not physically, mentally taxing, not seeing them. And, and Jason's the kind of guy that, you know, Jason's killed so many giant bucks that for him, he won't switch and just go to another buck. He'll, he just look. He doesn't need to see a lot of deer, um, and you know when you kill as many big deer as he has, it's you know the odds of it, the way he looks at it and the way I look at it is, if you're going to switch and pull off of that deer to go try to find another giant deer that you don't even know about, you know, what are the odds yeah, that yeah. you can't even find this one when we know we're within a mile and a half of him and we can't turn him? What are the odds we're going to throw a dart at a board to another spot, go there? And then one, that there's going to be a buck of the kind of caliber he's looking for, number one. And then number two, we still have to find him and kill him, you know, you know, even if we know he's there. Um, so I try to stick with, I've always believed if you stick with the buck, he's eventually going to turn back. And they usually do, you know, they're there. They haven't left. I mean, there are the occasions when they do, but you have to play the odds. And most of the time that we've had some bucks that, that there was a buck, a great example of that was we were hunting a buck. I want to say 2010, maybe 2011, um, Richard Canale was hunting with us. And well, first off, I found this buck in the summer and um, videoed him and he's just a world-class buck. And I, I got great video of him and he was in a spot where I'd seen him two days in a row, maybe three days in a row, almost zero people ever in the area where he was at. I was really confident. And then I came back a couple weeks later, was able to find him again. and. And this buck in velvet was probably, you know, 230 inches in velvet. And um, we were, so I had, and Brittingham was going to hunt him during the archery hunt. So I came in there and the night before opening day, we, we were, um, we were, it was a backpacking hunt and, you know, we were, we rolled in there and, and just, I mean, it was like, took five minutes to find him. And I thought this could be so easy to shoot this deer, you know, he's always right here. And then the next morning, bam, right away, we find him. And then we bed him and Jack does a long stalk and, and it was opening morning and he's with another buck and he's with a really unique old three point, just a straight Eastern white tails, you know, frame type three point with a couple of kickers on each side, you know, but a big mature deer that we was hanging out with all the time. They're only those two together all the time. And Jack actually drew on the buck and, uh, had him at, I'm, I could be wrong, but somewhere around 40 yards. 35, 40 yards. So Jack draws and he steps as he, he takes a step and goes behind a juniper tree and he's kind of working his way, angling slightly away, I believe. And so when he topped, got back out behind, Jack did the right thing thinking, you know what? He, you know, he's angling away. I don't know how far he was out of sight. So he might be 50 now instead of 40. So he 
he rearranges him. You know, he lets up and rearranges the buck. And, and then when he's redrawing the second time, the other buck had stepped out from behind a tree. We could see him. And I think the other buck, if I remember right, picked up him drawing his bow or something. And the other buck kind of made a noise or jumped a little bit. And the big buck turned around and just kind of walked away. And he just kind of walked into this group of trees that was fairly thick and jacked, ended up not getting a shot. So I wasn't too worried about it. I thought, man, we got, you know, 30 days to shoot this deer. We're going to kill him. You know, Jack's a killer and he's got the time. We're going to get this deer done. I wasn't even worried about it. Well, we didn't see that deer for 60 days again. And I'm telling you, the most glassable country you've ever seen in your life. And there was like a, in the middle of all this wide open glassing, there was probably a 600 by 600 yard, really haired over thick spot. And that's what he walked into. And we did not see him for 60 days. The rest of August, never saw him once. And we hunted him hard. I mean, I talked Jason Campbell into coming and helping me glass and Clay Campbell came and helped me glass. Paul Stewart, one of my guys came up and helped and Drum and Lindsay drove down from Colorado and came and helped. We had so many people helping and looking and we could not, we'd looked at it from every different angle. And Jack at the time was living in a cave uh, separate from me backpacking. He was in this cave. And, and uh, so we didn't, we only could talk like at night with our phones or, you know, we, you know, we had radios and, but it wasn't like, we were all just having this fun camp out together. Most of the time we were all separated from each other from miles away. Cause there's different, it was really hard to get to the different angles to look for this buck. And we never turned him and we never quit on that buck. Never quit, never quit, never quit. And eventually went home without him. Jack did. And, um, then I came back. And so we didn't hunt him for a few weeks. So it wasn't 60 straight days of looking for him, but it was 60 days, you know, and yeah, we yeah. came back for, we, in the process of looking for him in that area, we turned another buck that was about 205, really big buck. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go back and hunt that buck on the rifle hunt with my rifle client. So I came in there and was going to hunt that buck on the rifle hunt. And he was living in the same general areas where the really big buck was. And I found him and saw that buck again when I was scouting. So I was pretty confident we were going to get a chance at that 205 buck. And then opening day, it snowed the night, the day before opening day, just snowed real deep. And then it snowed all through the night. Then it snowed during opening morning and you, um, and he wasn't there. So ironically, the client who had, um, had, I think he had lost his license or his tag. So he couldn't hunt opening morning. He had to drive. He had to go all the way to Vegas to get a duplicate. You couldn't get the duplicate license in PO. So he drives to Vegas and misses. It didn't matter because it was dumping snow. There really wasn't any hunting anyway. And they drove all the way to Vegas, bought a duplicate tag and made it back that afternoon. And I was looking at the buck from the backside, driven all the way around to look at another area for where that buck might be on the backside because I didn't see him in that snowstorm that morning. And right before dark, Paul sets his spotting scope up from our camp, you know, sitting <laughs> at camp, not, not, not our backpack camp, our base camp. And he's looking from four miles away, five miles away, and, and, and he sets up his spotting scope. And he glasses up a buck and I come back into camp and with the other hunter and Paul says, Hey, we need to flip a coin for tomorrow morning. He said, I found the big buck. And, and I thought, Oh, great. You know? And, and, uh, I forget how it came up, but I said, did he look his 
spindly because the 205 buck wasn't real heavy, you know, and when he shed his velvet, he, he looked kind of thinner horned, you know, still giant Porsche, but not as heavy as we had thought he was. So I mm-hmm. said, what did you think? Did he look as heavy to you? And he said, oh my gosh, Greg, he's got freak mass. I said, freak mass? I said, no, he doesn't. I said, it's not even, I mean, he's maybe, he's not even average mass, you know, and we're talking about two different gear, you know, and he says, Greg, <laughs> all the way up by where points are all forking and all this palmate, he's so palmated, it's unbelievable. I said, what are we, I said, he doesn't have any force. He's a typical. And he's like, Greg, I'm talking about the big buck. I found the big, big buck tonight. I said, you got to be kidding me. And he said, Greg, he's standing on the rock, you know, like 20 yards from where you filmed him 60 days ago in the same exact spot. And, oh my God. So I'm like, you're positive it's him because he's so far away, you know, and he's like, Greg, I'm a hundred. He had a big main beam that came down and floated and then it had a tripod on the end of it that pointed down, kind of, you know. And he said, Greg, I'm 100% positive it's him. So we're not losing our mind. You know, it's, it's opening day. You know, it's dark. But it, the, tomorrow's the second day of the hump. It's supposed to be clear. And we hiked all the way back in there and uh, got light out. And, and the, the buck that was with him is – and, oh, by the way, he was with the same buck with the, with the cheater off the side, you know, was with him. The same one he was with all summer. And we get in there, and it gets light. And Paul's spotting from a long ways away. And I've gone in there with the hunters where I'm only a thousand yards away at this point. And the, we find the buddy buck, but he's not there. And I mean, for 45 minutes, we're looking at the buddy buck walking around, he's traveling, he's walking across the ridge. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. He left him again, you know, <laughs> and we're watching and watching. And then I look over and it was, there was icicles hanging from all the, it was probably the prettiest morning I could ever remember glasses. Every tree had icicles hanging off of it. And you know, it was, it was in a burn, you know, and there were all these icicles hanging down and all the rocks had icicles hanging off the edges of them. And I'm looking into this rock pile and I can see that tripod sticking out from behind a rock, you know, it, and then it turned and when it turned, it hit one of those icicles. I'll never forget it. And then the icicle fell down. And I, I get on the radio and I said, Paul, I found him. He's literally 40 yards from where you saw him last night. He's just been laying here all morning in this snow. And oh my so then gosh. Paul, where he was, Paul couldn't quite see him. There was just a little bit of a kind of a curve of the hill right there, you know, and he had to move about 10 yards for Paul to see him. And, and so I took off and went on the stalk and Paul just watched the spot. And, he, and, uh, and then eventually he stood up, walked around to where Paul could see him. And, and we got all set up and we ended up, it's funny, I posted a video of this buck, and he's a buck that stands up out of a little cave. You know, he's bedded in this cave, and he kind of stands up and rocks his horns. That's where I filmed him, you know, 60 days earlier. And that very cave was where we laid down and built a rest. We shot from that cave, and the deer fell in the little notch of rocks where I was filming him from, you know, back in July. And, Holy and smokes, we, man. <laughs> yeah, we ended up shooting him right. And he'd been there that whole, I guarantee you that deer had been there the whole time. He just was nocturnal, you know? And, and we didn't, we, and be honest with you, we did give up on him. <laughs> you know, we were hunting the other <laughs> buck, uh, but it happened to be in the same area. We got lucky, but I'm telling you, those bigger bucks just don't, I mean, I just, I won't, I don't think you should ever give up. The, there's, even if you don't see him, you had a better chance of killing a big buck if you stick with it than you are going out trying to find a new one in the middle of a hunt. Gotcha. Yeah, no, and I uh, I found a giant buck one year uh, opening day, and <laughs> I, had, I had seen some monster scouting. Um, you know, I, I, I think the one was probably – 
32-ish inches wide with uh, with a – I called him Captain Hook because he had a great big hook that – you know, hook cheater that looked like Captain Hook's hook. And then there was just a great big typical with him. Um, you know, they were probably – 180s to 195 inch deer and you know i was i i, I enjoy bow hunting so I, I was planning on bow hunting them and uh went out there opening morning and there was people all over that like an ant hill and somebody had camped like literally put their tent in the middle of the main basin and i was thinking well so much for those deer so we went over and started looking in a different spot and this buck feeds out a long ways away you know and I, I would have put him at probably 215, 225, uh, just, uh, just a stud, you know, great, great big forks, inline cheaters, regular cheaters. I mean, it was, it was nuts. And uh, he went over there and fed off and disappeared. And, and I never saw him again, you know, black timber and everything like that. I, I honestly wasn't even sure what to do next because uh, – with the grass and stuff there, it's not like I could pick up his tracks and track him. And, uh, he didn't go and do an, into the, into the stuff over there spooked, but I went over there and I sat there, you know, for the majority of the rest of the day, never saw him, went back during rifle season in October with about a foot of snow, never saw him, you know, and I, I'm not saying I put in enough time to really earn finding him again, but with that situation with the black timber and with that many people, I didn't really know what my next step should have been to locate that deer. Um, I, I guess you know, what, well, I mean, what do you think? Just sit up high and just be there day after day after day after day and, and just keep continually looking for him. Is, is that kind of what you think you would do? Or I wasn't even sure what to do. <laughs> That's probably what I do. If it's glassable or somewhat glassable country, then I, I always try to find him with glass and, you know, and get yeah. a ways away, try to relocate him from a distance without disturbing him. And then, you know, that's the way I would like to do it. And again, it comes back to, I just like glassing, you know, so that's yeah, kind of the no, technique I use. <laughs> but I, I like it. And, and uh i just think i like i said i'll you know especially and i've always found the bigger the buck the, the more habitual he is you know there's lots of times you'll be hunting a big buck in an area where little bucks will come and go and you know throughout the month you're hunting say you know there'll be other bucks that come and go and i remember every couple of weeks you're, all right we never seen that deer before and then we never see him again you know like and but not big you know younger deer it just seems like as they get older they get more set in their ways, you know, they get more habitual, you know, um, gotcha. and I found, I found that to be true on a lot of really big bucks. You know, I mean, they'll be, I mean, think about when you go on, a, I've gone on a lot of backpacking high country, see the really big bucks from the year before always come back to the same place. You know, they're always uh -huh. turned to the same place. And yet there might've been 15 year space. The, the two really big ones came back and all the other ones are different. You know, they're just, they're all roaming all over and doing stuff. Does that make sense? And so you'll see this year, there'll be, I'll go back and compare video and go, I don't see any of these deer except for the two big ones that came back and the other ones are all different. You know, there's other deer that come in, you know, and leave and, but the bigger ones always come back. It seems like they're just, I just yeah. think the older they get, they eventually get into a pattern when they get to a certain age where they start going to the same place. <clears throat> huh? That's, that's good to know. Yeah. I just, that, I don't know that I, that black timber with, uh, with, 
with patches, I guess is probably the best way to, but you know, little open parks and things yeah. throughout there. Um, that, and I don't know, there, there might be a lot of people out there listening that feel the same way, but that kind of, that kind of overwhelms me and gives me a sense of hopeless. You know, I'm looking at miles of black timber and I'm thinking, He's got to go through the, one of these openings for me to even know he's in the country. And I'm just like, oh, to hell with this. You know what I mean? No, and I, I'm the same way. I, I like, I used to say for years that I, you know, um, you know, Paul Stewart is somebody that I remember I really look up to. And he's one of my guides and he's been killing giant bucks for years, you know, and, and uh, Paul, when I was, getting into hunting big bucks, you know, Paul was doing governor's tags, you know, in Arizona on the strip and killing these giant bucks. And this was back in the days, years and years ago, before the cameras and all that. And, and, you know, he would tell me these stories about these bucks they were killing like two fifties and two sixties and, you know, just giant bucks back before cameras yeah. and all that stuff. And <clears throat> he was, and I remember thinking, man, how is he doing this over and over again? And this is, you know, you know, I'm in, it, one of the things you said to me, and I'll never forget it, is he said, and I said, man, what are you doing hunting the buck in a place like that? And he says, man, you got to hunt the big bucks where they are, not where you want them to be. You know, he said, you got to hunt them where they are, not where you want them to be. And I used to always go and try to focus on places that were super, super glassable and, and, and avoid the places that had a lot of cover you know, um, nearby because it made it harder, you know, but that was also where the bigger bucks typically were, you know, they weren't out in the wide open stuff all the time. And, and so I kind of changed the way I do it. And now the stuff that you're describing there where there's openings and feedings, but a lot of cover, <clears throat> you know, um, I don't bypass those anymore. I do try to, I don't like it. Don't get me wrong. I get the same <laughs> overwhelmed, you know, like, Oh God, why does he have to be in a place like this? You know, um, yeah. instead of in a more open place where it's easier, um, but that's where a lot of those bigger bucks are and they just like it. You know, they like some of that mm -hmm. stuff like that, but I'm not, I haven't hunted a lot of what you're describing just cause we don't have a lot of that over here. You know, yeah, right, um, right. it's different terrain over here than that. I, you know, that's, I always say, I don't I go to Wyoming and hunt cause I see all those videos and all that Wyoming high country. And then I never put in for it. Cause I always forget. It's always that busy time of year. And I, I don't think I've ever even applied. <laughs> and uh but it's a place i really do want to go and hunt you know and, and i see all that stuff and it, it looks incredible you know and and uh but it's just something different than the than anything we hunt you know at least um maybe it's it's probably similar to some of the high colorado stuff that i hunt for myself but but it's nothing like nevada like we don't have anything in nevada like on what i see in all those places on those videos in wyoming right right or if yeah. we do it's not places we hunt deer in you know the places we're killing the bigger deer are more you know, deserty and lower country than that. <clears throat> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, you had, you had mentioned, uh, you'd, you'd mentioned the, the phrase hunting a buck hard. Um, and obviously I think that looks very, very different for different people. Um, so when you, when you say that you really focus in and you hunt a buck hard, I mean, does that basically look like you're, <laughs> getting on a good glassing point where you've seen him before and you're just going there for, you know, from dark to dark for 10 days straight. I mean, what does that kind of look like? <clears throat> no, when I'm talking about hard to hard, we're hunting a buck hard. I just, I mean, just <clears throat> mentally hard, like just only focusing on one buck, you know, we're not, gotcha. we're definitely not out there. It depends on the buck. There are some bucks that we'll hunt all day long, you know, because of where they're at and where they're living and there's a chance, but then there's other bucks that we'll hunt, you know, where, you know, last year 
I, I was talking about hunting that buck hard that we ended up killing for, you know, 10, 20 days. We never even once hunted in middle of the day because it was just so we knew where he was. And if you didn't find him in the morning and you didn't find he wasn't going to be out in that open stuff in the middle of the day. And so we, you're wasting your time. So we would go and do other stuff. I mean, we went and picked up sheds, did other things. So went back to camp, watched movies. It wasn't like it was physically hard. It was about yeah, the you, mental part of just focusing on one, you know, just one place and hunting him. And what we just try to do is try to get on knobs and not be, not just focus on the same knobs, try to mix it up a little bit and try to move the angles and but keep looking for that one buck. And, and gotcha. even though it's not physically hard, it's, it's the hardest part of big buck hunting is mental. I think, I mean, any, <clears throat> it's, I think that's the hardest part of hunting. To go hunt. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to go hike and just move around and do stuff and change. And because you're always looking at a new spot, it's exciting, but I mean, it's, draining when you've been sitting there looking at the same four guys you know like like i said it's not physical i can remember sitting in the trailer eating ice cream looking at each other going, good god we have to go sit on that knob again and you know he's not gonna show you know <laughs> we're all four gonna be sitting back there an hour eating ice cream again you know and i was yeah. big at the keto and, and i was eating all this keto and they were all giving me a hard time because it took all it took was 10 days to look for that buck and not find him i was off a keto eating half a gallon ice cream a day stressed out sitting in the trailer <laughs> In the middle of the day, the heat, they're all giving me a hard time. That, and, uh, but I mean, it was, it's physical, it's mentally hard to just keep getting up for it, you know, to keep telling yourself that, <clears throat> man, today is going to be the day he's going to show himself, you know, or, and, but then we've had other bucks. Like I said, we've had some hunts that were was in other units where that you just hunt the bucks every day. It's, it's so action packed. It's unbelievable. You're hunting the same big buck <clears throat> every single day. Um, the biggest buck we've ever killed in Nevada with a bow was with Randy Almer and it was a 240 something, 242 buck, you know, 242 inch buck, not 242, the unit. And it, it, and it was in a unit that deer came out of unit 231 and gosh, we saw that buck every single day from daylight till dark. You know, every day we hunted that buck, I was able to find him, you know, I don't think we ever went a day without seeing him, you know? So there was tons Jeez. of action, you know, we were we were stalking them all the time. We, we weren't stalking them. We were staging 150, 200 yards away from them, waiting for them to make a mistake and get in a spot where we could stalk them. So it was never boring. I mean, you just, man, you go back to camp at night and you just couldn't wait for the alarm to go off to get a chance to be on him again, you know? And, 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 and that particular unit, it's a lot, it's like that a lot, you know, on the bigger box. And then you go to these other units and it's not, it's a lot different, you know, we're and that kind is easy. In my opinion, it's fun. It's easy. And they're all fun in their own way, but man, those, we say it every year, like last year, we all sat around at the end of that hunt and we're like, we are not going to do this next year. We're going to the happy place. We're going to have fun. <clears throat> and then just the other Jason even said, he goes, man, if I, if I change my mind and I, he goes, you need to kick me. He said, kick me as hard as you can. If I tell you, I want to come back. I'm not doing it. And then the other day he called me up and, just out of the blue and act like he, like we'd never had this conversation and told me he got a land under tag for there again. And I just <laughs> about jaw drop. I'm like, what happened to, he goes, I, you know, it's man, with all this moisture down there, you know, there's that there's going to be a giant. And I said, Oh my God, we're going back there again. And he's like, <laughs> Here we he's go. Like, well, we gotta, <laughs> yeah. We got to at least try. And I thought, Oh man, I was really looking forward to this really fun, happy, go hunt some big bucks where we could see them and do lots of stocks. Instead, we're probably going to end up going back to that hellhole again and looking <laughs> at one deer, you know, and it's not like there weren't deer. When I talked about it, we were seeing lots of bucks, other bucks. We just aren't seeing the, when I say lots, we're seeing five or 
you know, anywhere from five to 10 bucks a day between four guys, you know, it wasn't like there was no deer in the air. We just, we weren't seeing the one we were looking for. We just kept seeing gotcha. the same group of bucks, you know, and, and, uh, or, you know, not even together. They were all in different areas and it's it just, yes. Yeah, and I say, I'm, I, I'm regretting, I'm looking, I mean, now that it's so far removed, I can't wait to go back and look for them, but I'm sure after another 10 days, I lose you? Oh, there you are. <laughs> uh, I heard you say, I'm sure after another 10 days. Yeah, I said after another 10 days of that, then maybe I'll change my mind and be mad at him again. But right now I'm looking forward to going back and looking for some of those bucks from last year after all the moisture they're getting. Because that's in a unit that, you know, <clears throat> no matter, the, the winter doesn't hurt them. It helps them. You know, it's it's such low country that it's not going to be something that's hard on them you know physically for the deer if there's a lot of snow so they can just they'll be down in the desert so i think it's going to be a banner antler growth year in there so i'm i'm looking forward to trying it at this point because i haven't been in there for 10 days seeing nothing but we'll see gotcha gotcha that's awesome that's awesome so with with your uh, season and friends and stuff like that coming up you know it probably goes without saying that spending time in the field before season is a huge asset to consistent success so how much you know how much time are you guys spending scouting and before season and in the field and what does kind of that typical day of scouting look like you know, we go, I try to go up there usually in early July. I usually start right after the 4th of July and uh, go up there. Because by then you can tell which bucks you start to recognize bucks from the year before. You know, and you're not just going. I mean, sometimes I go earlier just because I can't stand it and I want to. And then I go over there and it's silly because <laughs> you're not. You can't even tell what you're just looking at a bunch of deer that are all nubbed out, you know. Yeah, so I yeah. try to start going there then after, you know, after July, <clears throat> you know, in July. And we, we we're up there, you know, we spent about a month before the season starts looking in all the different units and trying to find the bucks then. And <clears throat> so it's usually, I would say, you know, we start around the 4th of July and that hunt starts around the 10th of August. But I mean, we come home too. I'm not there for, it's not like I pull a trader over there and park it on the 4th and I'm there till he, you know, we start, we go back and, you know, go back on weekends and stuff, or we'll go for a couple of days and, you know, go home for a few days on the weekends and then come back. It just depends. I used to talk my family into going over there, but, they, uh, they, my girls are getting older now. They're, they're almost 16. That's not their idea of a fun summer is not hanging out in the middle of the day. <laughs> the camp trailer with dad. So my wife is probably, I think my wife's more excited about that than they are about not having to go over there anymore and hang out in the camp trailer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, time of year to hunt big deer, I, I think you, there's a lot of emphasis and I don't know if it comes from the whitetail world or what, but it seems like there's a lot of emphasis on, man, the best time to hunt an animal is during the rut. Um, what, you know, do you agree with that? And what time of year, if not, you know, what time of year do you think is the best to kill a big mule deer? You know, I think it's different parts of the country are different, but like where I hunt in Nevada, I can tell you that, we um now obviously if i could pick a governor's tag and go hunt in november but you know you know when you have lots of time yeah that would be phenomenal but the reason i don't agree with the rut being the very best is because um the way we hunt is we're hunting bucks that we know about and 
when the rut comes around, you're no longer hunting bucks you know about. They travel, they move. You're now you're they migrated in Nevada to other places, and by that time of year, so depending on what you're looking for, you are going to see the most mature bucks, the most action, have the best hunt on a rut hunt, no doubt about it, because the bucks are rutting. You see all that, but as far as killing a true giant giant buck, I think the better time to do that, <clears throat> the best time is archery. But I mean, like even on the rifle hunts, I like the early because you'll see deer. It's when they're the hardest find, but at least they haven't left their summer pattern yet. They might be nocturnal. They might not be moving much, but they're still there. So gotcha. what happens is like going back to what I was talking about when I said, I, in my opinion, <clears throat> you got to look at the most number of bucks. It's just a matter of every area is different depending on the genetics and the age class, but every whatever it is, let's say you got to look at a hundred bucks to see a 200 incher in 231. I'm, I'm throwing that number out. I'm just making it up, but let's say it's a hundred. Well, in the summertime, I have a month to find a hundred bucks, you know, a hundred different bucks, which gives me a lot of time to find them. And then once I find them, they're not going anywhere. Whereas a rut tag <clears throat> where you have a six day window, really the last five days is the good part of that rut hunt. So in five days, you know, you're going to see a lot of deer, a lot of does, and you're going to see it, you know, probably, eight to 10, you know, bucks on does every day. But now all of a sudden, you know, in eight, if you're seeing eight bucks a day for six days, you're going to see 48 bucks, you know, and I'd rather have the summer when I'm seeing hundreds of bucks to find that big one and then be able to hunt him. Then you can do a rut hunt and look at 48 bucks and not see a giant, you know, you, you might, it's yeah. a great chance to kill 180 to 190 bucks, you know, or even one, you know, 90 bucks, but the 200 inch deer, <clears throat> um, it's, um, I, I don't know. I've certainly killed more early than I have late, but I've also done, in all fairness, I've done a lot more early hunts than I've done late. You know, there's not as many. You only get one a year, you know, one tag a year on the, there's yeah, only one yeah. tag on that way. So obviously huh. we're not doing as many. Um, yeah. but I, I just, I feel like, <clears throat> um, for me, if I was going to go to Nevada, um, but I also don't, I'm not going to be upset about going home without one. I would pick, I would want to hunt early um without the rut because i have i know i'd have all summer to find a buck and then go try to kill him whereas if you go late i'd have more fun there'd be a lot more bucks there'd probably be a better chance at a 190 but um at that point all the big bucks you know about are they've now moved and now you're just looking you're basically hunting does and looking for a buck on the does which is still a great way to hunt i just mean all your scouting is now gone if that makes sense yeah, no, that, that, and that's a, that's a good perspective. You know, me being in Wyoming, uh, we, very few hunts are even in the rut for mule deer. Uh, so, you know, we're focusing on, I hunt September and then, uh, you know, the rifle season is most units is about October 1st to the 15th or October 15th, and November or to November 1st, roughly. Um, so we don't get to spend a whole lot of time even hunting in the rut, you know? So that, that's a, that's a, that's a good perspective to have. And, and it makes perfect sense. You know, you go out there, you spend all this time scouting, uh, being able to go hunt where you put in all the time scouting and found those animals. Just, it just makes, it just makes sense, obviously. So with that, what, uh, what type of antler character really excites you the most? mass problem for sure mass i like mass and i like width i <clears throat> i'm uh yeah just definitely mass and width i'm not a big score guy um 
I mean, I don't get me wrong. I, I like bucks that score a lot, but I like mass. <clears throat> I would prefer to shoot a deer that's, um, you know, like a heavy wide frame deer than I would a super scory deer. Um, I, I, awesome. uh, I just, that's just my personal preference. And ironically, my best bucks are all scory bucks. They're not giant frame bucks, you know? <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, but that's not what I like. Does that make sense? Like my dream buck is, um, that buck that Jason killed this year, uh, the one that we, that it's like a 34 inch wide. And, you know, I have, I have, um, a couple of deer that, that score better than it does, but they're not even in the same caliber of deer. You know, they're just really symmetrical, deep fork, giant eye guards type deer that get their score because of, you know, that kind of stuff and symmetry. Yeah. And then you take his deer that is, you know, I, I can't remember. I shouldn't be saying this. I don't remember all the measurements exactly, but I mean, I think his, I think he averages around eight inches on his forks and scores two Oh six, you know, Jeez. and he's 34 wide and stupid massive and <clears throat> really tall G twos. His frame is, <clears throat> I remember watching that deer walking around and it's like, it takes your breath away, you know, whereas. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm looking at a deer on my wall right now that outscores him and you know, when I looked at him the first day, I passed him, you know, and didn't shoot him. And, <laughs> and, and then I looked at him the second day and I was a guy from, uh, one of my good friends from, who's from Kentucky and he's a big white tail and he was like, Hey, you got to shoot that series. And then the next day we went back and I ended up shooting him. Um, and I had to like convince, I had to talk myself into how big he was looking at him by, well, yeah, that is long and that is long. And then Jason's deer, when I saw it, you know, through the glass, it was, I remember telling Jason, <clears throat> I don't even care what this thing scores. I swear <laughs> to you, I'll never talk to you again if you don't want to shoot this deer. <laughs> you know, because he's killed so many big deer, I was afraid he would be worried about it not scoring, which is stupid. Not that Jason's that kind of guy, but I just thought he's killed so many more big deer himself than I have personally. Right. So, you know, my, his, his deer collection is five times, six times bigger than mine of big deer. So I thought he's not going to like this and I'm going to be so mad because he's going to walk away from my dream buck, you know? And <clears throat> so I told him, I said, if you don't shoot this deer, I'll, I, I we're done. I don't want to talk to you again. I said, I, I love this deer. And, and he said, well, man, you know, if you love him, I would love him, you know? And, and, <laughs> and when he shot him, I was, you know, I could tell when he, when, cause I, like I said, I hadn't, I hadn't seen Jason in three weeks. He'd been over there by himself hunting, you know? And, and when he called me and was standing over the buck, he was, <clears throat> I knew he was excited. He was like, man, I, I don't think he scores as bad as you think he does. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> he's like, it doesn't matter, but this thing's, he goes, Greg, he's really big frame, you know? <laughs> and you won't believe yeah, how big yeah. he's been. And everything just added up there in a different way, you know? But it's hard to look at a deer that has, you know, eight inch forks and think he's going to be a 200 inch deer, you know? Or, <clears throat> and he just got there with big giant G2s and big main beams and big inside spread and big mass. And I don't even think he had big eye guards. I can't remember now, but I don't, I don't even think he has good eye guards. He just all frame, you know, and I'd rather, I'd, I just, to me, a deer is way more impressive. If he gets there with his frame than if he gets there with big long tines, you know, and I've shot some deer that have long tines, and I like those too, but I would prefer a deer like his just mass and, I just score means nothing to me on that kind of stuff. I'd rather have a, I always say it's how big a box does it take to ship it in and how much does it cost and how big a box does it cost to ship it across the country would be my dream buck. And Jason's would be a big box. 
That's so cool. Yeah, I my, my deer this year in Wyoming was kind of the same thing. You know, he he didn't score with a darn, but he was almost 31 or 31 and a half inches wide, you know, and that's <laughs> that's I, I've never shot a deer that wide. So I mean, how often do you pass up a buck that's over 30 inches with some cheaters, you know? <laughs> yeah, you can't. Those are too good a deer, man. I mean, there's <clears throat> I mean, in the old days, that's what people, that's what it was all about. It was all about with, you know, and all, you know, and who's to say that isn't a bigger deer, you know, just because somebody came up with a scoring system that says symmetry and deep forge matter. And, you know, it, it, that's, that is, a, it's just kind of the benchmark and I get it, but man, I was, there's deer I've seen over the years that people have shot that are just dream bucks that don't, you know, that are just, I would trade every one of my 200 inch deer for, you know, I have a friend that's got a deer that's like, low 90s and i'd trade every one of mine for one stock at that deer you know he's just yeah. so awesome massive and just doesn't have for whatever reason the he doesn't meet the criteria to score well but man if you take that deer and say dunk him in water he would displace more water than a lot of deer <laughs> you know he, he put a <laughs> bone on his head <clears throat> probably my favorite uh, buck of all time what was that wyoming buck that was killed um there was a name for that big massive buck that was killed in Wyoming with, uh, I believe Rob Wiley killed him or no, he guided it. I mean, uh, mm. non-typical outfitters. <clears throat> Not they sure. Him Magnum, like, wasn't it Magnum or something? I don't know. Well, that was, that's like my dream buck. And it's I'm pretty sure it's what they, I, I say it's my dream buck. And I can't even remember that what they call him, but it's a, just a buck that has like just unbelievable mass. I'll try to find a picture of it later. Um, I know the guy that shot it and I'll, I'll get a picture of it and send it to you later. And, but it's a, you'll recognize it when you see it. It was a huge deer. Yeah. That's uh, I'm kind of like you. I, I think if I look through the, through the spotter and I go, Holy hell, I got to go over there and kill that deer. I don't really care what it scores at that point. You know? Um, yeah. I, I shot a deer one year that uh, opening day of season, I shot him at 18 yards with my bow. And the only reason I shot him is because he had a bona fide, like six to eight inch drop time. I mean, I told myself, when else? I, that is the coolest thing ever. When else am I going to see a deer with a drop, an actual drop, you know, not just a nub, an actual drop time. And still to this day, I haven't seen another one. And that was seven years ago or six years ago. It was a while ago, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. So, well, Greg, the last thing that I want to end the podcast with is, um, you know, I feel that people have extremely different views of a successful hunt. So I was wondering to you, in your mind, what is what is one of your most successful hunts, whether it was you or your daughter or your dad or whatever, you know, what is one of your most successful hunts and why was it so successful to you? Um, man, I would, I would say the most successful without a doubt, this is an easy one. It was, uh, I, it was an elk hunt with both of my daughters two years ago. Um, they drew a, a, uh, a real easy to draw unit in Arizona that's more managed for hunter opportunity. And um, we got to do it with, uh, it was a hunt that was filmed by, um, uh, for, a, for a Yeti short film. So uh -huh. the reason, it's one of my favorite hunts for so many different reasons. One, <clears throat> both my daughters drew the tag. We got to go in there. One of my close friends, Bob Moore, who I talked about earlier, he came out and brought his mules 
we we packed into a wilderness and uh the the guys that did the filming was it was uh it was uh from Cat creative it was adam foss and and frankie and <clears throat> oh excuse me um so th- just the the whole and adam's a good dude oh he's he's awesome you know and uh let's see uh let's see sean tips was there um and there were so there were three people there filming and i mean it was just it was the absolute there was we knew we weren't going to shoot a big bull you know that wasn't the point of it they called me ahead of time and wanted to know what hunt we wanted to film for the year and come along and it was probably our probably our best year ever of guiding there were so many big opportunities we had that year of these hunts where we were going to shoot we were hunting really big animals with the right people at the right dates and we chose that one because we wanted to do it about you know getting kind of away from the trophy hunting and the whole actually just going on a hunt you know and and that was kind of the whole thing what it was geared towards is going on a hunt with my daughters and 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 man it was just it was so much fun the excitement leading up to it the shooting then having those guys along and filming and and my buddy bringing in the mules and, and, and getting, and then to have the whole thing on video and have it professionally done and, and have those guys, you know, those Adam's become a really close friend of mine. His, his, now, now they're married, his wife at the time, it was his girlfriend. And, uh, so they came out and we got to experience the whole thing with them. And, and, uh, you know, Adam's, he's probably somebody that of all the people that I've ever spent time in the field with, he is probably someone who, uh, appreciates the hunt, you know, for all the little things more than anybody. You know, does that make sense? Not just about, yeah, yeah. and I mean everything from, from you know, making sure that you know the kids are having a good time and fun and just enjoying every aspect of a hunt. Whether it was setting up camp, you know, breaking down camp, making coffee, just there's he's never in a down mood. He's he's. All, hold on one second, okay. Hold on. No worries. <laughs> Sorry, I've got a, my little dog. I don't know if you can hear that. I edit that out, but yeah, no worries. But but uh, oh, anyway, I had a, somebody came to our door and the dog was like, <laughs> um, but I mean, Adam, just every aspect of it, of his, the camping, he, you know, he's into the the just the scenery, everything, and so my kids got to see that, you know, and you know, I mean, he just oh, man, he spoiled my kids with hot chocolate and coffee, and the whole time we were filming, and he just. You know, he's just somebody that's, I mean, gosh, probably one of the, just a steward for somebody that's really a great example to follow in that doors. And him being a part of that was a really big deal. And I didn't know Adam that well before that hunt. We'd spent a few days together on another uh, hunt together. Uh, I shouldn't say we spent a week together on an archery hunt and he shot a nice deer on over the counter. We had a blast. So, I, I mean, I knew what a great guy he was, but it was really neat to experience it, to share that with my kids. And they just had a blast. And, uh, you know, I, I remember... I had never seen anybody grill steaks on a rock before. And, you know, he made the point when my daughter shot her elk to grill up the back straps and he showed me, and I've never done it. And I've been hunting for 30 something, you know, guys there five years. he built this fire and he cleared out a spot along the, the ring where he took a flat rock and put it over, made a little bridge and he shoveled coals under and got the rock so hot. And he was adding fat from the elk to make it not stick to the rock. And he was grilling these things and he was taking like, seasoning out of his top ramen packets to season it with you know the beef bouillon and 
and it was like the most incredible meal. My kids thought that was like the neatest thing, you know, the the coolest thing ever. <laughs> took it off of a rock that we had just taken. And it was showing them that, you know, it's more than a, you know, and we shot, we shot a, a little five by four and a four by three. And my kids had the time of their life, you know, and it wasn't easy. It took us five days, you know, I think, <laughs> yeah. we, shot, I think we went three days without two or three days, two and a half days, not even seeing an elk, you know, it was pretty low numbers and we had packed in there. So we were committed, you know, and, we couldn't really move camp and, and despite the fact that the hunting was a little tough, we just, it was, it was, a, and then now I've gotten to see all of it professionally edited and, and I'll have that for the rest of my life with my kids. It was, it was pretty awesome. It hasn't been released yet. So I haven't seen like a final product, but it's something they're still working on. And, but yeah, it, you know, that was probably without a doubt, hands down the funnest, uh, most successful one I've ever been on, you know, both my daughters got to go and, and, and I'll, I promise you they'll remember that trip for the rest of their life. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's so amazing. I, I, I like asking that, that question, especially to people that have either, you know, killed a lot themselves or helped a lot of people kill a lot of stuff. Um, because it's amazing the, the wide variety of answers that I get from asking that simple question, you know, um, but uh, that that's that's such an amazing answer because you know being being a dad myself, man, you know either hunting with my dad or or going on hunts with my son. They whether we shoot something or not, those are yeah uh, you know. And now I have a new son. He's I think he's eight weeks old now. And then my wife is into hunting and stuff like that. Just it's amazing how much that means to me. So that was that was awesome, and I appreciate you sharing that story with me. Oh no problem. Well, Greg, I appreciate so much you, uh, you know, taking uh, almost two hours out of your day today to hop on a podcast with me and just kind of BS and tell stories and, and share some, some tips and things that are really helpful for you. It really means a lot to me, and I know my listeners are going to enjoy this. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Anytime. Let's do it again someday. Thank you for tuning in to the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear. And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are... Eastman Elevated with Bride and Barney. And Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lampers. And a special thanks to Maven Optics, Six Sight Gear, Dark Energy Tech, Shield Mountain Outdoors, The Outdoor Insiders, Iron Mind Hunting, Valkyrie Archery, and Gannett Ridge Sporting Equipment.